Mark chapter 2, let's go. You remember last week we started the Gospel of Mark? Mark, if you noticed last week, is this very action-oriented document. It features less of the, the teachings and story of Jesus and focuses way more on what he does. And at the very beginning of Mark, Mark gives you kind of his objective for one sentence and then goes right into just stuff that happens. And he tells you his objective is to show you that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. So, Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Well, I guess to understand chapter 2, you've got to remember from chapter 1 that Jesus was doing miracles and telling people not to go spreading all the word about it. And they just immediately disobeyed and, and went out and told everybody. And so Jesus was leaving that town to go to a different place where he wasn't so famous so he could talk without being mobbed by a crowd. And you'll see how that goes in chapter 2. So Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 1, a few days later... When Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. And you might ask, what is the word? And you remember Mark already told you in chapter 1, verse 15, where Jesus says, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news, right? All right, verse 3. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Verse 6. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Verse 8. Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit what this was they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier? To say to this paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. Verse 14. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And we're going to stop right there for tonight. So there's kind of two big events. Let's back up and go to the first one. So Jesus goes to a place again where he's well known. He goes back to Capernaum. And there is such a large crowd that is there to see him. Because they've heard the kind of stuff he's saying, but, but most of all in their minds... They've seen the miracles he's done. 
So this huge crowd comes around, and they're crammed into the house he's in. And they're so crammed, they're taking up the whole doorway and even the outside space. And so there's this paralyzed guy, and he has four friends. And they've got him on this mat, and they're each carrying a corner. And they try, they're trying to get their friend to Jesus so Jesus can heal their friend, because they know he can, right? And yet, they can't get their friend to Jesus. So what's the only logical thing to do? Get up on the roof and cut a hole in it, of course, right? Who wouldn't do the same thing in, in any situation? Yeah, you probably wouldn't. Yeah, and, and so you might, you might say, like, is that respectable? Is, is that right? Well, I don't know. Jesus doesn't correct them, though. By the way, just as a note, it's a pretty dangerous thing to do, to lower a person who's on a mat through a hole. In fact... When, um, when a small group of us, or about 25 people from our church a couple years ago, we went to Thailand to work with all these missionary kids, and we were teaching missionary kids this story. And Andy was with me. We were in the same group with the fifth graders. And we were talking about how it would be so cool to illustrate this story, because our room with the fifth graders was upstairs. And in the hallway of this upstairs space, there was this pretty short railing and then this huge opening in the floor that you could see down to the first floor. And we thought like, this would be so cool. We could be teaching the kids the story and then, you know, Andy gets lowered from the roof, (laughs) right? Of course, right? And then the more we thought about it, the more sketchy and dangerous it was. And, and even though Andy is totally fit and able-bodied and, and could probably, like, land properly, it still seemed like a terrible idea, so we didn't do it. And so now I always think of that when I, when I think of these guys thinking it was a good idea to lower their paralyzed friend through the roof, right? Because if something goes wrong, if one of them doesn't lower their rope on their corner of his mat at the right time, the guy just dumps off and flops onto the ground, and it's horrible. But you know what their line of thinking is? Their line of thinking is, it's okay because Jesus is right there, man. So it's going to be okay. In fact, there's this really interesting thing. Look at verse 5. So, so the four guys, they get up on the roof. They cut a hole in it. Jesus is trying to teach or do something. And suddenly there's pieces of roof falling down in front of him. And then a guy comes through. And look at what verse 5 says. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. You get that weird phrase? When Jesus saw their faith? It's really interesting because faith as a concept, like when it's inside of you, it's an intangible, invisible thing, isn't it? Like if if there's two people sitting side by side and one of them has faith in Jesus and the other, other doesn't, you can't see that faith. You can't tell who has faith and who doesn't in that situation. And so what does the Bible mean when it says Jesus saw their faith? It means they did something that showed they had faith in Jesus. If they thought Jesus was just, you know, a, a cool dude, or if they thought, you know, what a lot of our culture thinks about Jesus, where, oh yeah, he's a, he's a good moral teacher, and he had a lot of significant things to say, but there's nothing divine, there's nothing miraculous, he's just a good moral teacher. If they had thought that, they would not have brought their paralyzed friend to him, right? 
And even if they did, just to get their paralyzed friend to hear him, I'm sure he could have heard Jesus from outside. But they, because of their faith that Jesus was more than a good moral teacher, more than a regular rabbi, they had this faith Jesus was, was the Messiah, the Christ. He was the Son of God himself. So they do this thing that in any other situation would be totally crazy and totally irresponsible. And look at what Jesus says. Verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. That's weird. Because the friends probably didn't bring the paralyzed man there to have his sins forgiven, did they? They brought him there because he was paralyzed. Because medical technology in the first century was just, it was garbage. Right? And, and they've heard that Jesus can heal people. And that's why they bring their friend who needs healing to Jesus. And yet the first thing Jesus says has nothing to do with the guy being paralyzed. Has nothing to do with it at all. Now look at what happens because of what Jesus says. So Jesus says, Sons, your sins are, son, your sins are forgiven. Now verse 6. Now some teachers of the law, these are the people who know the Old Testament... We're sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, they've, they've got a point, right? They are right to notice that it's a big deal that Jesus just granted forgiveness to this guy's sins because that's not a right people have. If these guys know the Old Testament, they know that God is not only the creator of everything, he's the, he's the king of everything. He is in charge that God makes the rules and God enforces the rules and God is ultimately the judge of all. And that the responsibility to judge doesn't lie with people, it lies with God. And so for a person to step in and speak on behalf of God and say, oh yeah, you're totally forgiven. Forget about it, right? For a person to say that is really presumptuous. And they're right, if it was a person, it would have been blasphemous. But then the thing that they say at the end is, who can forgive sins but God alone? And they're right. They don't know it, but they're making a big point about who Jesus is. Now, look at the way Jesus sticks it to them here. Look at verse 8. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, so he turns his attention to the critics. And he says, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man? Your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. Now, you see what he's saying? Forgiveness of sins is, again, a thing. That it's, 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 it's a big deal, and it's real, and it's eternal, but it's intangible to us. You can't see it on another person. But you can see healing. You can see a paralyzed man get up and pick up his mat that he used to be dependent on and walk out of there. And so Jesus says, which of those two things is easier? Forgives to, to say, forgive sins, or to say, get up and take your mat and walk. And obviously the, the answer is it's, it's easier to just say your sins are forgiven than it is to tell him he's healed and expect him to be healed. But then look at verse 10. But I want you to know that the Son of Man, that's the title Jesus uses for himself, the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything 
like this. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being that guy's friend and you've known him his whole life and, and maybe he was born with some birth defect that caused the paralysis or maybe he was in some kind of an accident that caused the paralysis. But either way, in, in that culture, there's no wheelchairs, there's no ramps to get you into, into anything. Like it was way more difficult to be a handicapped person then than it was now, even though it's still crazy difficult now. And yet, Jesus just says to the guy, your sins are forgiven, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And he's spent the last who knows how many years on this mat which is not like a comfy mattress like you're thinking of. It's probably like weaved together branches and hallways and things like that. And he just, he does it. He sits up, picks up his mat, maybe rolls it up, puts it under his arm, and walks right out of there. And everyone's amazed. They lose it. They freak out, right? Because Jesus is not only there claiming to be divine, because only God can forgive sins, but now he's demonstrated he has the ability to miraculously heal people. It's incredible. Jesus sticks it to the religious leaders in such a way, to these people who think that they've got God all figured out, and he calls them on it and says, I'm going to forgive this guy right in front of you, and I'm going to heal him, and you're going to be amazed. And do you, do you understand how his forgiving him is a claim of divinity? The Pharisees are right, only God can forgive sins, and so Jesus is out there forgiving sins. All right, keep reading. So look at verse 13. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. So again, major miracle happens. Even more of a crowd comes, so Jesus leaves. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Um, Levi is the second, it's the lesser known name of a guy named Matthew in the New Testament. He wrote the Gospel of Matthew. He was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. It was really, really common in those days for people to have two names, like how Simon is called Simon and Peter and Cephas in the New Testament, right? And people in that culture understand that's a normal thing. So Matthew is Levi, and he's a tax collector. Now, you, a bunch of you probably know this, but in our culture, if you work for the IRS, you're going to have a bunch of people who aren't really your biggest fan, but they don't totally hate you, all right? They understand that taxes pay for roads and fire trucks and, and stuff like that, and so it's okay, right? It's, it's not a big deal to collect taxes. But in Jesus' culture, tax collectors were this really, really specialized thing, and, and this skill that they had and this job that they did made everyone in their culture hate them. Because here was the deal. Jesus lived in Israel. And at the time, Israel was occupied by the mighty foreign Roman Empire. And the Romans wanted to be, they, they didn't want to miss out on tax income. But they were wise enough to know that they didn't speak the local languages, their officials didn't, and they didn't know the local cultures, and they didn't know who in some town has money and who doesn't. So what they did is they would hire local people, like Levi, like Matthew here, and say, hey Levi, we just look at it and we think that we can get X number of dollars in tax revenue from this town. 
You're in charge of collecting it, and you'll have, the, you'll have a few Roman soldiers with you all the time to make sure that you get paid. And any money that you can collect beyond what we're telling you to collect, that's yours to keep. And so in Jesus' day, tax collectors turned into this class of people who were really rich because they abused their power and, and picked on everybody. And beyond that, they were totally seen as traitors to their country, right? It's even hard for us to think about as Americans, but just imagine some foreign power comes in and takes over America, and then a few of us decide to work for that foreign power, right? And the people who did would be seen as these rats, as total horrible traitors. Well, that's Levi, right? First, Jesus heals this paralytic guy, And now Jesus just walks up to this guy in the middle of this big crowd where everyone can see exactly who Jesus is talking to, right? He walks up to Levi, whom they all hate. And he says, follow me. Come with me. And what's Levi do? He leaves his tax collecting booth, his station, and he follows Jesus. And he never goes back. He becomes one of Jesus' disciples. He goes on to write a gospel. He leaves his old life behind and he follows Jesus. And if that weren't like, you, re- you, you hear that and you're like, that, that's amazing. He turned his life around. Not everybody's happy about it. Read the next couple verses. Look at verse 15. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples For there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? So pause there before you get to Jesus' answer. So you befriend one tax collector, you show them kindness when no one else does, and suddenly you're in their social group. And so now Jesus goes to Levi's house to eat dinner. And there's lots of tax collectors there, right? If having one rat of a friend wasn't enough, now he's got a whole group of them. And, and the Pharisees and the religious people, they're even more furious now. And there's something in here that doesn't come across well in our culture, but in their culture, going to somebody's house or just eating with somebody was a really, really big deal. Uh, just in the gym just now, you, you ate at a table with somebody, and maybe there were even people at that table you didn't know, and you're fine with it, because eating like near people isn't a big deal in our culture, but in their culture, it is a very, very big deal. So the fact that Jesus, who is claiming to be the Jewish Messiah, the promised one of the Old Testament, who's claiming to be God himself in the flesh, He's not hanging out with the, quote, righteous, the morally upstanding, the good people. He's hanging out with the very worst people in that society. Yeah, and the, quote, good people are mad, right? Like, I don't even know what the answer is, and don't call it out, but think for your second in your head, what are the worst people in our society? What are the people in our society that everybody just tries to keep their distance from? Right? Maybe people who have committed some particular sort of crime, something like that. 
right? And if you feel kind of a hatred or disdain for those people, well, that's what the people in the first century Israel felt for tax collectors. And yet Jesus goes right to them and says, follow me. And so they criticize him and look at Jesus' answer in verse 17. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come to call, I'm, I'm sorry, I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. Now here's the deal about this. When it comes to humanity and our position, nobody's healthy. Everyone's sick. Right? We're all deeply bent and broken and messed up in a lot of ways. But only a few of us know it. Right? Bless you. That's alright. A lot of people live their lives in total denial trying to be good enough. Trying to earn not only the approval of other people through their goodness, but trying to earn the approval of God himself through their goodness. And Jesus here just doesn't even give those people the time of day. He sticks it to them in the way he forgives the paralytic guy's sin before he heals him. And then he sticks it to him further by walking up to a tax collector, the worst kind of person in this society, in broad daylight, in front of a huge crowd, and inviting that guy into his family, right? Into his close, close group. And if that's not enough, now he's eating with lots of tax collectors. And when they criticize him, he says, hey, I'm here for the sick people. I'm here for the people who aren't okay. And the thing about the tax collectors is that they know they're not okay, right? And in that way, they've got this weird advantage over the average person. They know that they need God's forgiveness. And if any of those Pharisees are going to come to that conclusion, it's going to be a a longer road for them to get there than it was for the tax collectors. All right, I don't want to take up any more group time. Head out there. If you don't know what group you're going to, come see me.